the Wilder Young Adult Ministry here in Anastasia. We're so excited to be worshiping with you all today. So if you could stand with us, it's time for worship.
Good morning, church. How's everyone doing? We awake this morning? Can I get an amen? <laughs> uh, I just want to say it's a huge honor to stand among people who, um, who will give their all to give worship to the Lord. So if I could get a round of applause for them. So my name is Alex, and this is Cam, and um, we're going to be giving you some announcements. So if you're new here, we would like to get to know you. So we have a text-based platform you can text, 904-441-6900, and that's, you can text connect if you're new, and uh, we would get to know you through that, and you can also give a prayer request in there. Um, for our digital bulletin, uh, you can text the same number and you can text news and you get all the news from the church happenings right there. And you can also visit the front desk at the atrium. Um, we also have a congregational meeting next Sunday at 4 p.m. and we would like you to be there. All right, so if you are in middle school or high school, or you're in charge of a middle school or high schooler, Impact Weekend is coming up March 3rd through the 5th. Um, this is just an incredible time for worship learning, and it's gonna be a whole lot of fun. If you wanna sign up for it, you can go to anastasiachurch.org slash impactweek. Um, we are incredibly excited. Um, we have a fun event coming up at Anastasia. Our drama ministry will be putting on a musical dinner theater Friday, March 24th. So tickets are going to be $25, um, and you can get more info or book your tickets at anastasiachurch.org slash dinner theater. Thank you. December 21st, the shortest day of 2022, but a great year for Anastasia, and they're going to be pouring the footings today. You notice here are the rocks that you guys put your prayer requests on, the scriptures, the people you want to see impacted. Uh, this is a great day for our church. Well, good morning, church. You can see the progress that we're making here on campus, and what an exciting Sunday to be a part of Anastasia, celebrating our youth and how our Lord Jesus has impacted their lives. And so to that extent, I wanted to share something with you this morning that I believe illustrates and actually punctuates exactly why we are doing our For Generations to Come faith campaign, fulfilling God's vision for us here at Anastasia. Statistics show, has been proven, 
that from birth until the age of 13 years old, if a child is presented the good news of the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's an 80% chance that they will accept Christ as their savior for eternity. After that, the number significantly declines. So church, that's why we're involved in this and why we're doing it. And you have been so faithful in doing so. And as we continue this month to continue to celebrate our third year of our fruit offering, uh, there's a couple of ways that you can come alongside if you haven't already. Uh, you can manually give a check. And we have four generations to come faith envelopes out in the atrium and where the, uh, the boxes are for your tithes and offerings. And or our digital platform, you can text the number four in the letter G to 904-441-6900 and you can give there. We're so thankful for what God is doing here. And so let's, uh, let's take a moment to thank him in prayer. Father God, we just come before you this morning with hearts of gratitude and spirits of humility, thanking you for what you're doing and the progress that you are making here at Anastasia Island Campus. We're so thankful for the youth, Lord, and their hearts for you. And Father, that is what our hearts, and that is to preach and proclaim the good news of the life-changing truth of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as we continue to follow in faith, we just ask that you continue to show up mightily as you have. We love you and we praise you. It's in Christ's name we ask. Amen. you have been blessed so far by our young adult ministry, The Well, so far through worship. Um, my name is Julia Murray. I have the privilege of leading this amazing group of young adults. On Tuesday evenings, we meet right here in the CLC. And this morning, I've asked um, two of our students to share what God has placed on their heart. What Our theme for this semester has been living on mission. What does it mean to live a life on mission? And so they're going to share a little bit about what that has meant to them personally, and how they have seen God use that in their lives. So will you please welcome Katie Speakman to the stage. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all today. Um, like Julie said, my name is Katie Speakman. I'm one of the worship leaders at The Well. Um, and first of all, I'd just like to say thank you to our church for caring so much about college students and to our wonderful leaders who give their time and their lives um, every Tuesday. Um, as a ministry, our mission verse is 1 Thessalonians 2.8, which says, We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become so dear to us. So with that being the heart and soul of our ministry, I cannot think of a more perfect theme for this weekend than Life on Mission. Um, so as I thought about what a Life on Mission means to me or looks like in my own life, I kind of realized how easily I fall victim to trying to be the hero of the story. Like we all want to be the main character in our lives, in our life stories. We wanna be the ones that come up with the strategy that saves the world. And we want the crowds to cheer us on and pat us on the back. But when we try to take that role on, we realize just how unfit we are for that job. So if we can't save the whole world, why should we try? And why should we join a mission that in our own power we're doomed to fail at? Um, as I was like studying my daily devotions, this passage in Matthew um, 
appeared and, and really taught me a lot about what a life on mission should look like. And it's the parable of the talents. Um, and I think it provides a humbling, but also an encouraging picture of how to victoriously live out the purpose God has for our lives. So if you would, please turn to Matthew 25. And we're going to start in verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, and to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who'd received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who'd received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents." His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned." So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I pray that it would be the thing that speaks to your church this morning and that you would speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. So the parable of the talents... Um, in it, Jesus is the master of the servants. Like the master, he went away when he ascended to the heavens, leaving it to us to make use of his spiritual riches. As the church, he entrusted us with his spirit, which provides us with his promises, with the truth, with the fruits of the spirit, um, and with supernatural power to do his work in the world. So I wanna give you five ways today using this parable um, of how you can live a life on mission. So the first way is to be faithful in the little everyday responsibilities that God has entrusted to you. We see in the passage that some of the servants are entrusted with a lot and others are entrusted with a little. Like me, you may often get discouraged feeling like you don't really have very much to offer God. But whatever your weakness is, take heart in what the passage says in verse 21. It says, You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Instead of trying to plan out a strategy for some great calling, evaluate your life. 
What opportunities has he given you today to be obedient? Maybe that's taking a lonely friend to lunch. Maybe that's just doing your best at work and giving it your full effort. Or maybe it's washing the dishes without being asked. My mom would love that one. Um, (laughs) But don't see any act of obedience to God as too small to be significant to his kingdom. Because if you're faithful with a little, he promises in the passage to entrust you with more. He's the one who knows the plan for the future, so just worry about what he has for you today. Um, Way number two to live a life on mission is to say yes to his spirit with a cheerful heart, which can be really hard. Matthew Henry's commentary on this passage said, it's observable that he who had but two talents gave up his account as cheerfully as he who had five. For our comfort on the day of judgment will be according to our faithfulness, not according to our usefulness. Our sincerity, not our success, according to the uprightness of our hearts, not according to the degree of our opportunities. So what you have to offer God's kingdom is not as important as your obedience and your willingness to say yes to him. But also remember that your heart and your attitude when you're obedient will determine whether your actions have any impact on the kingdom. I think of acts of service a lot like gift giving. If it were my best friend's birthday, let's just imagine it's my best friend's birthday, and I bought her a gift. And while she was opening it, I complained about how expensive it was. And then I was like, oh my goodness, this was so inconvenient because I don't have time to be stopping by the store and getting you gifts. How would that make her feel? Does that show her how much I love her? Physical, tangible actions like gift giving are only significant if there's love behind them. And in the same way, when we serve, we should have loving, joyful, thoughtful attitudes towards people. Otherwise, what we do is meaningless. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3 says, If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Way number three to live a life on mission is to trust that his grace is sufficient when you feel inadequate. Back to 1 Corinthians in verses 27 through 29, chapter 1, says, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing, what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. Here the Lord reminds us that the world sees success completely backwards. The influencers, the powerful, those with control, those who are especially talented are the ones who receive praise for success. But remember, we're not the main characters in this story. And Jesus himself, the one with the plan to save the world, was humble. He didn't use his supernatural power for control. So if he lived a simple, humble, faithful life, how much more should we who have no power outside of his spirit? And point number four, way to live a life on mission, is to start with the people God has put in front of you. 
Before we could even question what we're supposed to be doing for God's kingdom, Matthew follows the parable with these verses. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. We're called to serve the people around us who have physical needs. But we're also surrounded every day by people who are hungry for the word of God, who are poor in spirit, who are heart sick, and who are imprisoned by sin. Oftentimes though, I feel like we count people out. I work at the farmer's market at the amphitheater every Saturday, and if you've ever worked in customer service or the food industry, you know what it's like to stand and smile and nod while someone chews you out while you're working a minimum wage job for getting their order wrong. (laughs) But somehow, I find it easier to smile and apologize to that rude customer than I do to have self-control when my sisters and brothers argue with me. I think that the people who are closest to us are sometimes the hardest to love. So we like to make them the exception. Oh, it's my brother, he'll love me anyway. But, The people who are the hardest to love are the ones that you need to show the most grace to. And it's the people in your closest circle, in your home, who see you at your best and your worst, who you have the greatest opportunity to disciple. And from there, from your home and your close circle, we're supposed to go out into the world that doesn't know us. And lastly, way to to live a life on mission is to have faith that God will provide for you if you surrender to him. Maybe you're sitting here today and you feel more like the man who hid his talent, the man who was driven by fear. Maybe you, like me, feel like your time and your money and your energy is spread as thin as it can possibly be spread. But I promise you, if you hold tightly to the little bit that you have, you'll miss out. If you release your whole life, every minute and dollar to be used however God sees fit, you'll gain more than you ever lose. And like the parable says, he'll multiply what you give. And whatever you lack, through his grace, he'll provide for all your needs. It'll take faith, it won't be easy, but your dependency on God will bring you closer to him. I wanna leave you with this quote from Oswald Chambers. Faith is the heroic effort of your life. You fling yourself in reckless confidence on God. God has ventured all in Jesus Christ to save us. Now he wants us to venture our all in a life that can face anything it has to face without wavering. Again and again, you'll get up to what Jesus Christ wants and every time you turn back when it comes to that point until you abandon resolutely. Jesus Christ demands that you risk everything you hold by common sense and leap into what he says. Christ demands of the man who trusts in him the same reckless spirit that is daring enough to step out of the crowd and to bank his faith on the character of God. Thank you so much for having me. I pray that God's word spoke to you today as powerfully as it did to me when I studied Matthew 25. And now I wanna ask my incredible friend, Nate Vance, to come up and share what God's been teaching him about a life on mission. Keep applauding for Katie. This is her first big message and she killed it. I mean, you killed it, good job. 
good morning, church. I am uh, so happy to be up here again. It has been too long, um, but life has got in the way as school and work and everything. I have not been able to uh, be in front of you, but I am today, and I'm so excited to be here. Um, to kind of piggyback off what uh, Katie and Julie were saying, we have this uh, life on mission is the theme that we're going with. And for me, um, a life on mission, uh, I've, I've been in church my entire life. So a life on mission for me has been my entire life. Uh, sometimes it can get a little confusing. It gets a little mixed in. Am I really following Jesus or is this just what I do? Um, is this just what I've done my entire life? And so uh, this morning I really want to focus on sitting at the feet of Jesus uh, and what that looks like on a day-to-day because sometimes I think I'm just doing work. I just keep doing work for Jesus, but am I, am I really getting anything from Jesus? Am I really sitting and listening to what he has to say to me? Um, and so naturally this points me to the story of Martha and Mary. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, um, and if you are able, please stand uh, for the reading of God's word. Again, Luke 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you this morning, Lord, and I just thank you for, again, the opportunity to speak your word. Uh, I pray that it would be you who speaks through me, um, Father, and I just pray that we'll be able to walk through this together, through what it looks like to sit at your feet. Um, and just, again, be with us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, again, I just want to look at this morning, what does it mean to sit at the feet of Jesus in my life? Um, this is really something that has been on repeat in my mind. Again, like I said, I, I've been serving my whole life that sometimes I don't pause. Sometimes I don't just stop and listen to what Jesus is trying to tell me. And I think Mary and Martha in this story is so beautiful because I think it is really every believer. I mean, every single believer, I believe, is either a Martha or a Mary. I mean, especially when we're on mission. Some of us on mission are like Martha, and we feel as though we have to always be doing the work of Christ, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but I mean is that we just keep pouring our cup and pouring our cup and pouring our cup out until we're empty, and then we never fill it. You can't pour something that's not there. Like, you're just pouring nothing. And so some of us can be like Martha, and I believe some of us are like Mary. Uh, we make time for Jesus. We sit at his feet. We hear what he has to say to us. We're, our spirit is in tune with Jesus' spirit. And to be really vulnerable with you all this morning, because this really is coming from something that I've been going through with trying to live on mission, is I am a Martha that is desperately trying, desperately trying to be a Mary. And I feel as though I'm not alone in this truth, and I hope that the spirit gives us clarity this morning on how we can stop always working as Martha's does and learn how to submit and have fellowship with Jesus as Mary does. And so I wanna walk through the text this morning. The story opens in verse 38 with Jesus entering a village. Uh, other texts will show that this village is Bethany. It is the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And 
From here, we're immediately introduced to this new character. This is the first mention of Martha in the story of Jesus in the Gospels. And it says that Martha invites Jesus into her home. And looking at the cultural context, it was Jewish tradition for, oh, I am way off, my bad. From here, a new character is introduced in the story known as Martha. Immediately, text in verse 39 puts us into the house of Martha and introduces to us another new character, Mary. And Mary is described as sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. And again, in cultural context, it was Jewish tradition that as a rabbi was with his disciples, they would sit at his feet and they would listen to his teaching. So what is so cool about this first encounter of Jesus with Mary is that as you continually read in the gospels, you will always find Mary at his feet, always. Every story, Mary's at the feet of Jesus. And, and, it's, and it's purposeful that this is done. In John 11, Mary falls at Jesus' feet, and when he, arrives, when he arrives to resurrect her brother Lazarus. And in John 12, she anoints Jesus' feet. She's at his feet, and she anoints them, and she cleans them. And it's just this beautiful sign of submission. And so my first point this morning is our first step of obedience to Jesus is sitting at his feet. I remember when I uh, first came to the well. This was, oh, geez, two years ago now. Um, Again, COVID had just happened, so it was a long time. I hadn't been in church. Um, honestly, I could tell you I was watching live stream of church services, but uh, I was not. Uh, I was just, I hadn't been in the, in the, the church flow, I guess. I kind of, I, I was obviously a follower of Jesus, but I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't getting that gathering, that feeling of being with other believers, that fellowship. And I remember it was 2021, and I came to the well for the first time. And it was just, it was just amazing. It was just, I was just so happy to be among other believers who loved Jesus and who wanted to jump into his word. And since I've served my entire life, as soon as I got to the well, I was like, okay, I'm gonna serve. All right, let me get the leadership. Hey, Julia, let me, let me do this, let me do that. Let me start serving again. Let me, let me get into it. And Julia lovingly told me no. She said, no, you need to sit. You need to really soak it all in. And I needed to learn that I needed to once again sit at Jesus' feet. I needed to be filled so that I could pour out. So moving on in the text, we find out what, we find out what Mary is doing. In verse 40, we see that the, the word but, which is meant to show a contrast between the way Mary was sitting and the way Martha was busy, or as the text says, distracted with much serving. The word distracted in the Greek is perispao. Say that with me. Perispao. One more time. Perispao. There you go. Okay. It, it's an interesting word, and it means to be drawn away, to be driven about mentally, to be overoccupied in the mind. This is not a small distraction like when I'm sitting in the seats and I get a buzz on my phone or like a text message. It's not like that. It's like a, it's a distraction that completely takes over. You, you can't stop thinking about it like when your stomach starts to growl and you're thinking about what to eat after the service is over. Now, why was Martha so consumed with this distraction? Why, why, why was Martha so overwhelmed with this, with this distraction in her life at this moment? I think the fact that Martha is the one that welcomed Jesus into her home really puts in perspective why she was so adamant in getting her house ready. Because again, I, Jesus is coming into her home and she's the one who invited him. She wants her house to be nice. She wants the food to be prepared. She wants it to be well, uh, well made and she wants Jesus to have a good impression. 
And I don't know about y'all, whenever I have guests coming over to my house, my mom turns into a military general. The, the house is on DEFCON 1. Like, everything has to be cleaned. Uh, even my room. Nobody goes, are they going to come to my room when I'm eating dinner? No. No one's coming to my room. But my room has to look like it's a showroom. I love you, Mom, but seriously. Now, imagine Jesus is coming to your house. How would you react? How would your mom react? I mean, it would be crazy. Therefore, I don't want to look at Martha and be like, oh, wow, like, come on, Martha, be more like Mary. I don't, I don't want to do that this morning. I, I want to be able to see the context of Martha and be like, Martha's just trying to do what she thought was right. She was trying to serve Jesus. So that leads to my next point this morning, which is while we're sitting at the feet of Jesus, we must fight off distractions. And the reason for that is distraction from Jesus leads us to disbelief in him. Look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Do you not care that I'm doing all the work? Do you not care that I'm anxious and troubled while I'm trying to serve you? Do you not care I'm doing all this work for you and she's not? Do you not care that I'm slaving away for your kingdom? And they aren't. Lord, do you not care? How many times in my life I ask this question and how many times in yours? I think sometimes when we just don't have the right focus of Jesus, we just, oh man, we just, we just, just have disbelief. We start to have doubt. Oh, like God, like I'm doing all this work. And it's not doing anything for me. Like, why, why would I keep doing the work? We also see that distraction makes us defensive towards Jesus. She defends her position. She goes, she doesn't just say, Lord, do you not care? She goes, oh, you left, my sister's left me to serve alone. So she's trying to, she's giving the background, like, oh, this is why you don't care. Because I'm serving and she's not serving. And again, how many times do we go to Jesus and we're like, do you not see the situation I'm in? Do you not see that they aren't doing stuff that I'm doing? Do you not see that? Distraction makes us demand from Jesus. How dare we? At the end of verse 40, she says, tell her then to help me. That's a command. In the Greek, she commands Jesus to tell Mary to help her. How many times in our life do we demand things from Jesus? Distraction leads to desperation. Martha was trying so desperately to control the situation she was in. She was trying so desperately to control the things around her and she thought she was justified in it. The, distract, the distraction had manipulated her mind into thinking she knew what was best instead of Jesus. How often are we manipulated in that same way? Too often. Now, how does Jesus respond to Martha and how does he respond to us? Even though Martha falsely called out Jesus and her sister, Mary and Jesus, had, and Jesus had every right, every right to rebuke her, every right to tell her off, but he doesn't do that. Look at verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Jesus does not respond to Martha in anger or frustration he responds to her in love. He lovingly corrects her. He just, he shifts. He, she, he shifts her mind to see things the way that they truly are. He simply shows her 
to focus on what is necessary in that moment. What is necessary? Look at verse 42. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Sitting at his feet is necessary. Spending time with Jesus is necessary. Submitting and learning from Jesus is necessary. Keeping him as the focus of our mission and our lives is what's necessary. And Mary is doing that. And while she's doing it, she's not anxious. She's not troubled. She has peace and comfort. Unlike Martha, who is, as Jesus says, she's anxious and troubled about so many different things. We as believers need to stop taking upon ourselves unnecessary anxiety and trouble. The world gives us enough of that on its own. We must take time for those things that are necessary. We must sit at Jesus' feet and soak up his word. Life on mission can not only be about the mission itself to the point that we miss who we are on mission for. By spending intentional time with Jesus and having a heart that is always sitting at his feet, we will be able to follow the example of Mary and Martha. For while we are on mission, we will be able to know when to sit at Jesus' feet, as Mary did, and we will know when to serve him well and to keep him at the focus of our mission, like Martha learned to do. This morning, if you've never sat at Jesus' feet, if all this, all that I'm saying is foreign to you, uh, I pray that you would just sit at his feet. Like I said earlier, my first point, it is the first act of obedience to sit at his feet. If you've never done that this morning, I invite you to do it. If you are a believer in Jesus and you've just been caught up in the service, you've been caught up in the work, you've been caught up in the, the do's and the don'ts, you've been caught up in just pouring your cup out, I pray that you would let Jesus fill you this morning. Let Jesus wash over you this morning. Let his teaching fill your heart and your soul this morning. Let's pray. Father God, I come in Jesus' name, Lord. I just, I thank you. Father, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that we are able to sit at your feet, that you have this personal connection with us, that we can talk to you whenever, and God, that you are willing to listen and that you don't rebuke us, but you lovingly correct us. I pray that we would fall at your feet this morning, that we would sit at your feet in submission. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for the opportunity. I thank you for what Katie had to say as well. Help us to do with what we have and be given more. Help us to do well with what we have to be given and abundantly more. I pray all this in your wonderful name. Amen.
Thank you so much for joining us this morning, church. I pray you have a blessed week. I pray that you would use your talents and that you would sit at the feet of Jesus. Thank you. We love you. Have a great week.